time is numb, the current's clean Your dog is dead, it's a Ponzi screen Ponzi screen, Ponzi screen Because it's just something to do Happy holidays, by, happy holidays, by the way. Happy Easter, Danny. Happy No, 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 no. Not Easter. Not Easter. 420. Daylight, daylight savings time. Daylight savings ba- time. It's a best holiday of the year, hands down. Love I, it. I love this succession of holidays where it's like Mardi Gras, daylight savings, Easter 420. You know, this is the real holiday season right here. <laughs> Yeah, Arbor Day and Earth Day are somewhere squeezed in there. I think. No, they're in the Earth Day. Are they? Earth Day is right around now, but Earth like... Earth Day is in the spring. Yeah. Arbor Day, I feel like, is in the fall. It's I an... want to say autumn is an arboreal holiday. See season. It's an you know like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, David, you are fucking right. Arbor Day is celebrated on March twenty first. Oh. Uh, Nice. Whoa. And Earth Day, Earth Day is uh, mm, April first. April first. Uh, and May Day. May Day is a good one. May Day is a good one. And they're all actually, and they're all May Day is great. Every single one of them are Catholic holidays. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Hitler's uh, birthday, Catholic holiday. Dude, straight up. Um, to all the spring heads out there, you know, dude, I um. I used to be, I mean, I look, don't get me wrong. I love summer. I'm a big fan of summer. It's a, it's a great time for me, but truly I'm, a, I, I, I can't get over. I love spring. Spring really? is a fantastic time. Spring's fantastic. It It's, it's a really beautiful, uh, temperature. It like, it's again, it starts getting lighter. So like the sun stays out until like 7 PM. That's crazy. You know, like mm-hmm. it's so nice. I yeah. love it. it yeah. I, I, spring spring is a time for decay and uh, reflection no. on the end times. <laughs> spring, I think of the spring as kind of like a middle age kind of season. You know, no, that's autumn. That's fall. Uh, so clearly fall. So clearly, what are you a fall why does, head? Why does spring? Why does autumn have two names? Why doesn't summer have a another name? like hot day hot days hot hot, hot hotties yeah i don't know something and then winter doesn't have one either winter could be like like i don't know the the pure the piercing agony the dark time well the solstice was that there's a summer there's a a summer solstice wait wait okay this really just begs the question david what is your favorite season i like winter I, i like winter oh this totally checks out of course (laughs) david is a david being a winter apologist when spring summer and and fall are right of course okay so i like i like (laughs) i like different places that i've lived i like different seasons i don't like i like summer in minnesota because it's objectively the best one um sure spring in kansas city because it's nice uh autumn in new york think is the best i think fall is the best for new york because the weather is good everyone looks good in sweaters in new york or light jackets and the it's not too wet and it's not too humid and it's not too cold and those are all good and it's not too windy those are all good things for new york city and winter i i i just like snow i i i, I like the twinkliness of things i like 
putting on all your little things. I like putting on the things, you know, and you like go out and you're like going to face the world and then you get to shovel Jesus. and, you know, all that stuff is just kind of fun. It's like a ritual. Uh, oh, you're, ugh. I mean, look, if there was no wind ever, maybe I could get behind that. But like fucking the wind chill always just blast it blasts me into the past man i can't i can't oh, yeah. take it the wind show i mean i look I, i'm fine with it i can deal with it now i know how to layer and shit like that but like it yeah it make it's like when you have wind chill there is no wind chill in summer it's just wind wind but is in, nice it, in, in summer in, in new york yeah. yeah but in winter it makes it it makes like a 32 degree day a 15 degree day like it's no good it's no good the, no good. the wind tunnels in Manhattan are really aggressive, like the mm-hmm. like like the people. And 13th, 13th Street, 13th Street, terrible wind tunnel. Oh yeah. Oh wow. I hadn't thought about that street like in particular, but now that you mention it, it's a really bad Prince, one. Prince Street and Broadway is the worst wind tunnel in all of New York. And what? And biking for you, uh, which season's the best? Spring. Spring is good. I can like really get along with spring. Uh. I like summer too. I mean, like, I don't know. I'm just used. I, I, I don't like. I probably sweat like a normal amount, but like, I just, uh, I like the heat. I like uh, being out in the street. You know, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I get that. I, I, when you're biking in the summer, it's good because um, there's breeze, man, and that's a really nice thing. And you don't have to exert yourself too much. Like, I actually really like like the plodding. P L O D D ing of walking in the summer and the heat is like really uh, heavy, and that's a nice thing. You don't have to worry about that uh, when you're on a bicycle. Yeah, people people do it wrong, man. They you gotta like uh, don't put a lot of weight on your back, or if you wear a bag, you're just in, you're asking for trouble because you'll just have sweat back. Mm-hmm. That's no good. Um, and if you walk into an air conditioned room, it'll be freezing on your ba- and your shirt touches your back. It'll just be like, aye, aye, aye. yeah, the, you know, the, I don't I really, really don't like the discrepancy between the AC and the heat. Calm down, you know, and that's like when like, that's like first week of school thing where like it's the first week of, of high school and you're coming back from summer break and all of a sudden you have to bring a sweatshirt to school because you're sitting indoors all day. Mm-hmm. And they just have like the AC on blast, you know what I mean? It's just I can't deal with that shit, man. Anyways, welcome to Ponzi Scream, everyone. Hey, what's <laughs> up? Uh, my uh, yeah, uh, my my name's David Bradley Eisenberg. We are here. We are having a nice time. We're here to talk about Mike Tyson. Actually, that's, that's yeah what it the is. the the champ, um, convicted sex offender, right? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He, 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 was he convicted? On March 26, 1992, Tyson was sentenced to six years in prison along with four years of probation. Due to his conviction, Tyson is required to register as a tier two sex offender. So he is. He's had everyone. There's been this sort of weird sort of revitalization of Mike Tyson in the past couple of years. And I always want to remind people that he is a monster <laughs> like, like he's not he's not a great guy <laughs> i don't remember anything about what he did or what he's famous for not a single thing uh he has a, a very memorable tattoo though right here like a little face Whoop. he's got the little c yeah it looks like know? this right around his eye you know and everyone knows mm-hmm. what it is everyone recognizes it and he was in a movie 
as we remember, there was a movie uh, called The Hangover Part 2. I was like, I, I knew it. it was on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. Yeah. So they was there were some interesting things about his tattoo in The Hangover Part 2. They, there were some people, who, it was a tattooist who sued the movie studio over replicating Mike Tyson's facial tattoo. Um, two other artists looking to gaming companies for compensation for reproduction of the tattoos. So basically, peop, the, tra- the original tattoo artist is trying to claim intellectual property rights over the tattoo that is on Mike Tyson's face. Uh, let's see. Let's see what we look at this. Okay. Um, I just, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm just checking out the tattoo again. Uh, what do we got here? Is- yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, it's bad. You know, this is, this is peak. It's funny because it is, it does look like a tribal tattoo, but just sort of like on someone's face, you know? Yes. They basically, uh, he had some sort of agreement, right? Uh, said that says all artwork, sketches, and drawings relating to my tattoo and any photographs of my tattoo are property of the tattoo artist. And they wanted to basically include the tattoo in some sort of part of the of the story. Uh, and but that now the guy is suing Warner Brothers. And they wanted to, like, basically just get a cut, okay? Part of the uh, argument was, you know, he made this. This is his intellectual property, an original design, an original ugly design right here. Mm-hmm. The, they ultimately looks like they tried to, the lawyers for Mike Tyson made a really interesting argument that to... Basically, they said, you need to either give me a cut of uh, his performance, effectively, in the movie, and your ability to show my art in your movie, okay, or license it out, or I'm going to forbid you from making this movie. His lawyers made the argument that you don't own Mike Tyson's skin, and your argument is a violation of the 13th Amendment. Uh, wait. Wait, you mean the, the, that amendment? The slavery amendment. The <laughs> that slavery one? Amendment. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, uh, side note, Mike Tyson has, has a Che Guevara tattoo as well. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's right below his left pectoral. <laughs> it's really funny. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So basically they're saying there's no separation. Okay. From him, from his skin as a conceptual matter. Okay. And there's basically, um, they were kind of comparing it to like the prohibition of badges of slavery. Uh, and so like using the copyright act would, uh, that that's kind of a different thing, but basically they're saying that you telling Mike Tyson what he can and cannot do with his body because would effectively say he that you own a portion of Mike Tyson um, because then Mike Tyson could not make any film appearances he couldn't hmm. without paying this guy he could not make any 
any visual representation of him, he would have to give a... And Mike Tyson sells his image and his persona for a living. And the guy would get a cut of everything ad infinitum because he had this very visible face tattoo of this guy. So, yeah, and it it's like... um. It's like more uh, like heated because Mike Tyson is black, but like theoretically, somebody could do the same thing with a white person, and they'd be like, "No, they wait." I, that's what I'm trying to get through my head right now. Is like, is would this work if Mike Tyson were white? Like, yeah, <laughs> it would. I mean, I, th- okay. I think okay. that it certainly like adds to the gravitas of the argument because he's black, right? But like it is more just the conceptual argument of like owning someone's body. Right. Like, I mean, there's certainly occasions where you are a piece of talent, right. You are a, uh, you know, social media star or like you're a musician or whatever. And your agent gets a cut of all of the work that you do. Right. And there's contracts that sign says, Hey, any appearance on TV that makes you money, any sort of piece of art that you make, uh, regardless of whether I had any stakes in it, involvement in it, I'm getting a cut for the next 10 years. Very common thing to do, okay? But this is a physical piece of someone, not someone's talent, okay? And there's another thing in the law, which is you can never compel someone to do something under the law. So there's this, um, like, uh, this is something that we talked about in my contracts class, which is like, you know, uh, Taylor Swift is going to do a concert and all of a sudden it rains or COVID happens uh, and they want to move the date to a year from now. But Taylor Swift says, no, I can't because uh, this, the album was called, you know, April 2020 and it, I, I just won't do it. I'm not going to do it. No one in no court of law can compel Taylor Swift to do that concert in the huh. So they're, there's, they're going to figure out all the damages and they'll, they'll commodify it in some other way and break out. Taylor might have to pay, pay a bunch of money, but there is nothing that can force somebody to do a concert ever because then you would have to like be like, okay, well, Taylor goes in there and she plods around and half-asses the show and totally screws it up and uh, there's no – but like – and then they'll be like, I want my money back. You did a bad performance like because you, you can never really – get that and there's and there's just some kind of like principles of just like nah you can't you can't force someone to do a show and same thing with like a business actually you can never force somebody to stay in business so if you're like having a labor dispute um a company can never be forced to remain open they can always just close up shop if they are interesting this, this is too expensive they can there's no legal right of someone to require them to stay open you know and Mike Tyson, the example, is kind of the negative uh, equivalent of that in some ways. And I, this argument I don't think was fully – I think they just settled out of court. But they, uh, from what I read about it and what I remember about it is that Mike Tyson w- wanted to be able to do the Hangover Part 2 and all the derivative artworks thereof, you know, the video game or whatever, and have his likeness, have the tattoo's likeness in those things. And mm-hmm. – Basically, this tattoo artist was saying, I own your skin. Yeah, or some version of it. Yeah, uh, follow-up. He also has a tattoo of Mao Zedong 
So <laughs> this is I don't know what's Derp, happening with yeah, this guy. Yeah, dirt yeah. dirtbag left right here. Look at this guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh like it's like shitty face tattoos and a uh, bunch of communist uh heroes. Uh I mean what what else is there? But like I I what's interesting about it is because it's it's kind of what we're talking about today, which is not those specific things, but it's about an article that Taylor Lorenz wrote in the Times um and it's kind of just starting to be covered elsewhere. And it's about some of these more esoteric social media apps for influencers. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, the article is for creators, everything is for sale. Okay. So this is taking those concepts to a completely next level and effectively financializing those stakes. Okay. And uh, while we're at it, though, I, I want you to, for, Danny, first tell us a little bit about, actually, um, I, w- I want to jump around from what we originally said. Tell me sure. a little bit about this guy you know, Mike Merrill. Yeah, well, you know, uh, just for the listeners out there, a little bit of a little, little behind-the-scenes uh, peek, a behind-the-curtain, Someone, some might even say. Uh, David was letting me know about this concept of basically like influencers being like uh, selling uh, elements of um, their routine or their their life. We'll get to that in a sec. We're going to get to like how, what's going on with it now. Tell me a little bit about this guy. Yeah, well, about a decade ago, uh, a friend of a friend uh, was like, oh yeah, my friend Mike is like uh, selling shares of him. Excuse me, selling shares of himself. And at the time, I was just sort of like, the fuck are you talking about? Uh, But it was true. This guy, Mike Merrill, uh, he was living in Portland at the time. I don't know where he's living now. But, like, he uh, had sold, um, I believe, a thousand shares of himself for a dollar each. And if you were a shareholder, I know, if you were a thousand, if if you had a share of Mike, you had a, I suppose what you could call a shareholder's voting right over uh certain elements of his life you know like uh and not even just um like small things like quite major (laughs) decisions like uh there's a a a very interesting looking little diagram here uh where he like has a couple it looks like i i don't know i haven't looked at like quarterly stock earnings or something like that but it kind of looks like that Mm-hmm. because like it there it shows like rejected approved so the, and the question is vasectomy 45 <laughs> percent say yes uh 54 say no so that was rejected uh winter mustache 45 percent say yes 54 percent say no uh attempt polyphasic sleeping schedule 63 percent say yes no uh 36 percent say no uh so like and that was approved so like yeah like people like you know just influenced his life <laughs> and and, and did know? he do these things yeah he did do these things um so he it, uh did the polyphasic sleep schedule he registered as a republican mm-hmm. he got a vegetarian diet and and like how shareholder stakes work is not one person one vote it's one share one vote so if you own a bunch of shares, you your vote means more. Yeah, this is I mean this it, it's it feels weird like uh 
this is a really interesting uh, little piece of this article as well. Um, This came out in 2017, by the way. So this is like four years ago at this point. Uh, Quote, we've all been in a situation where your friend starts dating someone and you're super opposed to it but can't really say anything, says Meryl. Friends can't really give you objective advice. But shareholders? Maybe. So Meryl went went on a variety of dates updating investors via a private forum at each juncture and seeding to their feedback. Merrill soon fell for a 28-year-old assistant, blah, blah, blah. After securing his shareholders' approval, he offered her a three-month relationship contract. <laughs> Which is, I mean... <laughs> I mean, that's the only way that I can really move forward in a relationship. I, yeah, I, I mean... Oh, wow, and then look at this. In the span of a month, Merrill's shareholders quadrupled from 120 to 500 Overnight, his share price skyrocketed from eighteen dollars, uh, giving him a one point two market, one point two million market cap. Uh, yeah, this is this so. Is all in like twenty thirteen and stuff. Yeah, it's uh really ridiculous. Uh, also, it's worth probably worth mentioning that Mike is a fairly normal looking person. He's not insane. He's not like an esoteric. Uh, he he's wearing a suit and all these things. He has. He looks like a, he looks like a Wall Street guy, but right. who lives in the Pacific Nor- Pacific Northwest. It's not crazy, um, and also again worth noting that I met him several times when I lived what was in he Portland. Like? He was normal. Did he normal enough? Was it like when you would interact with him? Did it seem like he was distracted or concerned about whether something he was doing was a violation of his shareholders' uh, wishes? I don't remember it in that intense detail, but like it didn't, it didn't pop out right. like it, it, you know, it was, it wasn't like a, it, di- it didn't seem like a crazy, crazy thing, you know? Right. right. Uh, but I mean, again, this is a couple of years ago and probably a little bit before um, we were quite as inundated with the uh, influencer culture and uh, it was still wildly weird very strange i think only cushioned by the fact that he was living in portland at the time and that is just like okay some portland guys being goofy some portland shit (laughs) yeah yes some portland shit's happening so take it with a grain of salt i mean this is like the classic like bridge from you know weird urbanite to like fully commodified techno capitalist Right. Yes. <laughs> like this is yeah, absolutely. Like it's, it, it's like I'm turning like my unicycle hobby into a Ponzi scheme, basically, you know, or whatever. Like this is sure. kind of like this that that movement. And now where we're at, uh, it, it looks like as of this year, okay, there are now 50 million content creators out there, alleged who people who make content on social media to take that take that take that you know take that for what it is (laughs) yeah okay so look 46.7 million of them are amateurs this is just what they do sure Uh, sure but two million of them are quote professional creators okay the biggest apps are youtube instagram and tiktok okay and then there's a bunch of other ones but this is all from uh, Signal Fire. This is this, uh, I think, a VC firm that kind of did this. But the, looking at uh, the market, okay, this is one of the f- 
fastest growing sectors of the economy, according to this this study, okay, of people who are on YouTube. You, if you're a professional, there are about a million YouTube professional content creators, 500,000 Instagram content creators, and about 300,000 uh, TikTok creators. The amateurs, most of the amateurs are on Instagram, and then uh, about 30 million, and then uh, 12 million of the amateurs are on YouTube. But a huge amount of them are uh, kind of there. They're making their money uh, in the way that you would imagine they are, right? They're making their money from uh, sponsorships, sponsored content. They're making their money from promotions, subscriptions, uh, all the kind of like ways that you would expect, uh, you know, uh, Patreon and stuff like that. Subscribe to our Patreon. And, you know, I mean, like, but one of the uh, more recent phenomena that's happening is the creation of some of uh, new forms of engagement with your content creator, with your influencer. And we've seen this um, in another sector with Cameo. If you know what Cameo is, you yes. you pay a celebrity or a minor celebrity money and they'll send a birthday message to someone or something like that. David, let's be completely honest here. We're talking about best case scenario, mostly like C-listers. Yeah. Yeah. Best case scenario is that you get, uh, Oh, who's the guy who plays Boston characters. Who's like, man, fuck Michael Trump. Rappaport. Michael, yeah, if you get Michael Rappaport to say happy birthday to your mom, that's like the best you're about you're gonna get on cameo. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. like one of the lesser known housewives of New Jersey. Right? Yes. Like that's yes. who you're that's who you're really getting. But it's a that that is that's kind of one of these forms of engagement. Now you have uh a basically this one called Pear Pop, which is cameo for social media stars, and new new, okay. These are both apps that don't just have you wish have them wish you a happy birthday or say whatever message, you know, like, you know, go fuck yourself. I hope you never finish law school. You know, love Kathy Griffin. But like they don't say that. No. <laughs> They'll say like um, they will do what this uh, what your friend Mike did, which is they will do things for money. They will they will follow along and they will. Uh, break up with their boyfriend or girlfriend. They will decide what to eat breakfast, where, like what to do for breakfast. They'll decide, and people are calling it like a real life choose your own adventure game. Okay, and there's uh, this is a great, this is a fascinating quote. This is from Jen Lee, the founder of uh, a popular creator economy community on Discord. So it's happening on other platforms like Discord. Creators are burning out, but their fans want more and more. By monetizing each aspect of their life, they can extract value from everyday interactions. Okay? Then there's this... Uh, there's. Uh, mm. <laughs> I wish you guys could see my face and David's face. <laughs> uh, there's Courtney Smith, the, the founder and chief, uh, chief executive of New New, said the company was similar to the stock market. You can buy shares, which are essentially votes, to be able to control a certain level of a person's life. So they're taking Mike's business model and they are creating an entire app, an entire economy around this. And I, I, there's when 
you mentioned, Mike, you passed along this article from The Hustle um, by Zach Crockett from 2017. And it talks about uh, he has this interesting statement that uh, really stood out to me, which is about insider trading that he was concerned about. With a mix of strangers and friends, his original investors, Merrill realized he had to mitigate the possibility of, quote, insider trading. His buddies, who he hung out with on a daily basis, knew more about his life than other investors. To compensate, he began publicly posting more updates and information about his life. So concerned about insider trading, concerned about um, market manipulation, concerned about uh, not having insufficient disclosures to shareholders, okay? <laughs> yes. I mean, the, these the... What's fascinating about this is this is opening up every single decision in your life, every single personal history, every single psychological neuroses, every single minor and discreet discomfort or comfort, every single predilection to a, like a, a, a potentially being a material piece of information for a shareholder to decide whether your value is going to go up or not to decide whether your stock price is going up or not based off of how interesting or popular you are. Okay. People will, could get into lawsuits over failing to disclose the fact that they, you know, were um, anorexic in middle school. And, that was a, a piece of material information that needed to be disclosed to the shareholders so that they could decide whether you should get friend get, get lunch with your friend from middle school uh, who knew about it. Yeah, that's I mean, it's just, you know, it, it makes a thing like OnlyFans just feel awesome because like that's a situation where it's like, look, if someone wants to, you know, uh, beat off on camera and then you're like i want to pay for that it's like lovely game yeah, done <laughs> yeah. and sold. this is like done and done you know <laughs> yeah exactly it's a virtual <laughs> lap dance right like this is like a set thing what's different about have like the the relationship between a shareholder and the relationship between a consumer is agency over what the creator does because the shareholder owns the person effectively owns the money-making entity that is the person that is the influencer okay the consumer is just hey i'll buy a lap dance for you and then this like the, they they don't control what is being offered as a product but the shareholder yeah. can say go go confront your friend from middle school about your anorexia problem yeah i mean it i, I mean it's what it is essentially doing is kind of like what you were saying, really, it's like setting groundwork for um, messy, uh, undefined uh, lawsuits and <laughs> and like all those things, all those things where it's like you're like, oh, yes, I want I want courts to be involved in like, uh, it's, you know, like. Th this sort of minutia and stuff like that that is like really hard to define in some cases and it's just it's just setting people up for this situation i mean like maybe these apps have a uh a, a slightly 
higher tolerance, you know, in their terms of services. But like, I, I, I mean, the, it, it's just there's just such a, a a massive blind spot with this where all all it takes is like one overly litigious, you know, person who is just like you didn't do this to like really fuck up somebody's life in some way and because you know people people are you know they they want their agency so like you have to ask the question is like where does it reach the point where someone is just sort of like no i'm not doing this and then boom i mean as soon as you get these could make a lot of money right like this is not nothing okay you get one mutual fund one institutional investor some private equity firm to invest in these YouTube stars, okay? They have an expected return. There are quarterly reports that you have to send them. This is not a laughing matter. And you, and it, the, the thing about New New is it is said it's creating a stock exchange for influencers, okay? There's another one um, that is called Rally.io, Okay, this is where that allows creators to start their own cryptocurrencies to build independent economies with their fans. Okay, Uh, people are getting into sophisticated financial instruments and sophisticated financial products with their bodies, with their personalities, with their intimate day to day decisions. This is not a joking matter. This is not something that is easily flippant, make a quick buck off of whether to make pancakes or uh bagels or whatever like people with money can get in there and ruin your life and there is you know what? there there is a compelling argument that they can force you to do that that they can force you to do that and by commodifying that experience there is not um i don't know i mean it, it's i don't not everything that a shareholder says you have to do you have to do right but if you're not giving them a return on their investment, they'll sue you. This is, you know what? I just thought of an uh, a, a an analogy that's close to this, or a comparison rather. Um, this is basically just K. This is K-pop. This is what K-pop already is. Okay. Because you have, because think about it. You have, you have Korean pop, a wildly popular musical genre that is essentially a, a neo boy band situation right, right. where you have these uh pretty good tunes vi- good tunes all right tunes very i mean it's it's pop music you right. know and you have these you know personalities essentially where you have these highly 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 stylized individuals these korean young korean men essentially that uh have to look a certain way have to uh, you know, act a certain way, have have their hair a certain way, everything like that. Their lives are micromanaged very much so. You know, there's been stories about how like they're not allowed to date certain people right, or, right, you know, right. it, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, they have this sort of like, you know, a facade of just sort of like, hey, I'm, all, I'm doing all right. But then a lot of them like kill themselves. Like, you know, like they have their lives micromanaged to the point where, they are essentially acting like they are a commodity. And if that commodity starts failing, like they're out of there. Right. They get rid of them. They put another one in there. And like these people don't do well. 
they don't do well right. after their their lives have basically been affected. I mean, like I, I think about like the the Britney Spears documentary that that was popular about a month ago. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, the the conservatorship uh, effectively this is doing an IPO for Britney Spears' dad because Britney Spears' dad controls every aspect of what Britney Spears can do. He determines where she, what shows she's going to play. He can determine what she's going to have for all of her meals, where she, how much time she spends with her family. Um, she, he has a legal control as a conservator over her, okay? This is people buying into, willingly, those mm. relationships with public shareholders, publicly traded shareholders, who right now are fans, right? But this is not going away. This sector is growing. Um, portfolios need diversity. And there will be financial power players who will get into this and can do some real harm here. Um, another thing that they're doing, which is they're creating these things called NFTs, non-fungible... Tokens. Token. Okay. A non-fungible token. Danny, can you explain what a non-fungible token is? An NFT is basically using the blockchain to verify a piece of, uh, in this case, a digital art, as it would be. So uh, instead of being like, hey, David, I'm going to paint you a picture of your cat, um, and it's going to be this like physical object that is verifiable because you can, you know, like, hold it in your hand and it's a one of one essentially right um what i'm going to do is instead is i'm going to draw a picture on adobe illustrator and send it over to you but it will only be verifiable by going through the technology that is blockchain technology which is the same technology that powers bitcoin dogecoin all the cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. essentially mm-hmm. and that is the way it'll be verifiable and that people will know that is it in fact it is in fact a one of one piece for you and not just a screenshot finally finally it, we're au- finally we're automating art appraisers yes and, and like through, through through the blockchain effectively right y- yes and one of the things that you can an nft is oftentimes art right but it can be anything an nft mm-hmm. is just a verifiable piece of property that is verified mm-hmm. through the blockchain okay an NFT is, you know, this the article talks about how someone was buying shares of a viral YouTube video and getting shares of the ad revenue that was coming from that YouTube video and selling those shares as NFTs, okay? And that's a security, right? And they can't they're I mean they're just already running into issues with the SEC saying, you know, you can't guarantee revenue as part of your ownership. The video could go bad. It might not be successful. Um, so you can't make these sort of promises that this is automatically going to be successful. So you're getting, like, marketing issues already with these securities. And, I mean, uh, an NFT is, it, it is, I, um, I, I can't really think of it otherwise as just a piece of technology to verify that something is an authentic, unique or authentic, like discrete piece of property. Yeah, it's. I don't know. I I don't know if that is something that is like the scariest thing about it, other than that it is creating the tool that is allowing for the complete commodification 
of any digital proper of any digital item, anything that exists on the internet. You can make an NFT about it, and then you know that that's the original Charlie bit my finger video. Yeah, uh, it's really it's really strange for two reasons, um, or two additional reasons that I was thinking of. One uh, is the fact that we're again we're not talking about physical items we're talking about digital things in this case or digital so, acts like yeah I'm, yeah i'm going to the store yeah yeah uh we're we're so you know say what you will but like you know uh we uh, i mean you can think about it it went digital stuff is based off of the concept of electricity so if electricity <laughs> if electricity stops being electricity if you will or if you are unable to uh i don't know verify it in that way uh you know say somebody like fucking like um what's that thing where you uh where you like put throw a put a bomb that doesn't ex- explode but a, an electromagnetic pulse somebody electromag somebody emp's a, a giant like power station or whatever all of a sudden, that digital thing doesn't become a digital thing anymore. It might be somewhere else, but like, doesn't matter to you because you can't see it, so it doesn't matter. And then there's, of course, that that's a much more esoteric issue okay. that I'm talking about. But the the main issue that everybody is talking about is the problem that has arisen because of blockchain, which is that it is incredibly, incredibly environmentally demanding. Essentially, that uh, every time you make something like this you tell a computer solve a very complex math equation to verify this but in order to do that you don't just need one computer you need many many computers to do it and in order to do that you have to have them all linked up together working together and when computers do that they generate heat and in order to make it so they don't catch on fire they need to be constantly air conditioned uh, constantly up uh, upkept and uh, last time I checked, that took electricity. Uh, right. <laughs> it is it is a huge deal. It's a huge problem. Uh, it's why cloud servers that uh, companies like Amazon and Google and Apple use are often located in places like the Dalles, Oregon, which is a part of Oregon about 20, 30 miles outside of Portland that literally looks like um, Middle Earth. Because it never gets above 40 degrees there. And wow. uh, it has a naturally aspirating, aspirate, aspirating um, server farm. So instead of having to have air conditioners on, they can literally open the windows. And those will cool these servers. That's how big of a deal the, and how big of an electricity um, suck these things are. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... The use of to, be able to create new digital currencies to be able to sell just in your little marketplace of influencers. So you're just going to have, you know, the Danny Feltz YouTube channel, and you can That's become right. a right. stakeholder on Dan- on the Danny Feltz YouTube channel on New New, and but we are only selling Danny Feltz coins, and you can buy them through there, and we'll have an IPO there, and you can trade it through that, and so ultimately you're going to be creating an entire publicly traded like securities apparatus using a commodity effectively because these things aren't 
currencies. Cryptocurrencies are not currencies because there's no distribution capability that it has, like the dollar, yes. right? Like if, it, pe- if people will remember, things can either be a commodity, a currency, or a, what was the third security. one? Security. A security, yeah. So this is, it's like, the, it's basically you're using a cryptocurrency as a security in this sense because it, it's, it's sh- conveying ownership in a business endeavor, okay? That is what makes it a security. But it's using these totally ludicrous cryptocurrency tokens in order to convey that, which is environmentally wasteful and kind of unnecessary, but you need it to verify your ownership in Danny's YouTube video of him taking a dump while singing a Claire de Lune. And that is... (laughs) You need need your... Like, you have to have the Danny Feltz coin in order to verify your nft ownership in that video and you're going to report these sorts of things uh to uh danny you're gonna have to report the value of your danny felt's token you're gonna have to report the uh earnings per share of your youtube video i mean you will need like effect like in five years if this matures all of these content creators are going to like it will create a like separate securities regulatory infrastructure. Yeah, I mean, we think of we otherwise I mean, you're going to run into all the same problems that you were going to get in any other securities marketplace. Insider trading, Ponzi schemes, uh, yeah. you know, you're going to market man- manipulation and fraud, conflicts of interest, you know, money laundering, okay? Like all of these sorts of big bad things. That happen every day on Wall Street, okay? It is like the wild, wild west of like fintech social media superstardom and commodifying those things. I mean, mixing these things is much, much more dangerous than people probably realize. The idea of doing money laundering through someone deciding whether they're going to break up with their boyfriend or not Um like you can money launder your securities through that. I mean, the amount of financial complexity that could be that has been done and already exists on Wall Street where people are hungry for the next big frontier of where to financialize the whole world and the amount of complexity applying that to people's everyday lives is maybe one of the scariest things I've I've read about in a very long time. Yeah, you know, people, it's laughable right now. It's worth a, it's a lark currently, yeah. but it's not what David's saying is not unheard of by any means. Because, I mean, think about it. Uh, eight years ago, let's just call it a clean decade. A decade ago, like, you know, this is what people were saying about regular ass Bitcoin. You know, people were talking about Bitcoin and people were like, ha, ha, ha. It's so silly that you guys are doing this thing. You're paying for, you know, your poutine at the food cart with a Bitcoin, you know, ha, ha, ha. Like, which is a thing that happened. Yeah, it was silly. There were like four bodegas in Williamsburg that took Bitcoin and it was like a silly conversation piece. Yeah. Meanwhile, fast forward 10 years, not only is Bitcoin literally 
regulated by the U.S. government now. It is like a it's like a real thing, um, but it, it regularly uh, spikes in dips and throws, you know, has its own market volatility infrastructure yeah. where it, it'll have these massive, you know. Um, peaks where it'll just gain value immediately and then like three days later it'll lose half of its value you know or something and it's it's incredibly like millions of people are involved with it it involved it's like uh the richest man in the world at the time elon musk is being like buy bitcoin you know like yeah it's 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 a real thing so if, if you know like it is not a it, uh, unless these things get sued out of existence which there is a possibility of them getting. Yeah. You know, there's a very real, I mean, like, you can't discount them. You have to consider what they could do because they could, they're the next iteration. They could be the next iteration of this this kind of stuff. Yeah. And now you're looking at, there's another one that uh, Taylor Lorenz talked about in her article, which was uh, called Clout Market. Okay. And this one's very interesting because this one is uh, basically you are, buying trading cards of influencers and the trading cards don't actually do um they don't own stakes in the individual person okay they your value of the trading card is dependent on the kind of for lack of a better word on the derivative value of its upward growth or downward growth and it's not that you own it, it's that you're gambling on it going up or gambling on it going down. And the degree in which that percent of change happens is where your value comes in, not on your underlying ownership. Does that make sense? And this is some calculus shit. Straight up. Yeah. This is like or like I mean, this is kind of the derivatives marketplace. So you, you talk about this sort of stuff. Like you're getting into really complex financial products. I'll just put you can just put it right there. It's getting complex. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, you're trading off of the change of growth. You're making money off of the change in development of some K-pop, or not K-pop, just like some YouTube stars, TikTok stars, Now Now stars decision on their financial, you know, the, the stakeholders' growth in their securities, which is inherently based on the decision for whether they should call their dad a racial slur. <laughs> so, bye, bye, bye. <laughs> yeah. uh, right? you, guys, I mean, like, you guys, I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm going to do it. <laughs> like, it, it's, it's trading off of the trade. That's what it is, okay? Yeah, yeah. And this is, like, futures investing. These are all these sorts of kind of things that just get really into, like, complex private marketplaces that oftentimes, usually have a lot of restrictions for normal people and are often usually done by what are called accredited investors who have to have a certain meet a certain criteria of wealth or income in order to be able to do it or are like part of a like literally in a hedge fund um mm -hmm. to be able to do this sort of stuff and it's i don't know what else to say about it other than that it's insane <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm like I, you know, I, I, excuse me. I would, I would say, uh, keep your eye on it. It's, 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 it's certainly laughable. 
it certainly um like uh I mean a novelty kind of right now. Right. But like it just like you know think about what happened with the Capitol riot thing that happened on January sixth that is um was a wild event of misinformation where people were like have bought into this QAnon delusion and that was mm-hmm. mostly motivated by the profit motive of social media companies propagating this myth, allowing it to fester and grow and using the, you know, kind of the Donald Trump as like the social media vector for getting people to, you know, go do all the insane shit that they did. And some of it very, very scary that led to people dying and stuff like that. Um, and, but instead of having just the social media company having a profit motive to do crazy shit, Okay, to do something crazy, hashtag. Um, you have the individual people saying, I have to participate in this whatever because I have a literal financial obligation to my shareholders to yeah. do it. I mean, don't get it twisted. Uh, there's probably going to be a couple people who do put in some weird t- terms of services in there that are going to be like, you know, 20 30 40 pages long where it in a portion of it they're just going to be like um i actually do not have to do uh, this thing like <laughs> you know like right but then but then you get into the question that, but then there come the legal things right it's where where right. you know it's it's not like it's it's different from something like con edison or like optimum where like they're ostensibly they're their services like providing like electricity or internet but of course they have a clause in there that says something to the point of like you cannot sue us for a delay in or a can or a non uh right. delivery they'll contract of services. out certain things that they'll say you know i'm not going to do this if you if i really 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 don't feel like it's ethically right and anything that someone tells you to do something illegal is not enforceable if someone t- tells you like hey I need you to kill this man for me. I need a hitman. That will not be an enforceable requirement by the mm-hmm. corporation to do. Right? Like, but there will be people who will skirt the boundary of that. And there will be people who are concerned about their bottom line and are really over leveraged or are way their value is way, way down and they need to do something to make a splash, or they just have to meet this one obligation before they can really turn the corner financially on something and they'll skirt that law and they'll do something like, you know, whatever one of these like batshit crazy shareholders tell them to do. And I don't think it's going to be something like murder, but it could be like, Hey, um, I need you to pick up this package at the airport and uh, move it over to um, another part of uh, the, uh, the airport. And that's, you know, Someone's, you know, you could just get someone to go do that, or like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. There's just all sorts of uh, weird little acts that you could have someone do um, that they might not even realize that they're engaging in some sort of other illegal activity. Oh yeah, there. I mean, Lord, (laughs) I mean, I haven't done it because I've never found myself in that position before. But it's like I've definitely heard of situations, even just do it with people doing like uh, delivery apps and what have you, where it's like they're like, oh, uh, pick up, you know, this Chinese food from this restaurant and then deliver it to this person. And it's like not Chinese food. Like it's clearly something else. And in, in like a situation and, and like you don't even 
but they that person doesn't know that and they just take the box and like they just inadvertently became like a drug dealer you know and those people are technically independent contractors yeah um you're an independent contractor you own your own little business that's doing this for you and actually that's actually a really interesting analog of like the delivery driver independent contractor the the uber driver independent contractor to these social media stars because an independent contractor is in theory like a private small business owner okay yes this is kind of like if you took the independent contractors of the uber drivers and the you know doordash people caviar people and you had an ipo for their company Mm mm-hmm and and now it's like it's not just that you have are like seeking customers to do stuff you also have obligations to your shareholders to make sure that actually i know you're tired but your shareholders need you to make 20 deliveries today uh because, oh, yeah yeah like you could just like it, it it's like you could double yourself of being like yeah actually you 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 can't just it it's not just that uber wants you to keep going it's not just that your customers want you to keep going or the restaurant wants you to keep going, but now you have shareholders that you're accountable to. And if you don't do that, you could sub your, subject yourself to some serious litigation and to like a serious like shareholder lawsuit. If you have um, a mutual fund, like a retirement plan that's investing in Danny Feltz Incorporated, okay? Um, so honored. So honored. <laughs> you could Thank get you. Thank you. like um, in some real trouble and like ruin someone's retirement plan in – Nebraska because their you know BlackRock retirement plan invested part of their money in you and that was a bad investment all of a sudden BlackRock is getting sued and they're going to try and bring you in because you didn't do your job well enough I don't know I mean it, it's um it's a brave new world Danny it's a brave new world I don't know we'll see it's like many of our stories it's one of those things where you really just have to Keep your eyes on it. See where it goes. <laughs> yeah. See where it goes. See what the SEC has to say about it eventually. Eventually. I, I would imagine that they'll let it go and then something bad's gonna happen and then they'll retroactively like cut some small parts out to make it like very discreetly those very bad things discreetly illegal. I mean this is kind of how most most regulators are like reactive. And very much so. as soon as something bad happens, they'll make that bad thing illegal, but then another bad thing will happen and they'll make that bad thing illegal. Or they'll restrict yeah. it. To prevent the worst things of it from happening because the money's too good. I don't know. Uh, yeah. But anyway. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but um this uh this Ponzi scream is we're taking um some some news for the listeners. We are taking a bit of a hiatus. We are gonna take a little bit of a break from the show. Sabbatical. I, a sabbatical, if you will. Uh I have some writing I wanna do. I wanna work on that. And Danny also has some work to do. We're going to take some time to do some work. And we're going to keep a lookout when stuff comes up. Uh, it's going to, that that needs to come up. Or if there's someone we really want to talk to in some sort of a way, we'll come back. But the weeklies are taking a little hiatus until, I don't know, Danny, late end of this year, early next year, maybe. Something like that. We'll see. We'll have to see. It depends how fast or slow David wants to write whatever he wants to write. Uh, we'll have to figure it out. Um, I don't have any ideas yet, dear listener. But I would say 
I would say uh, that much in the same vein that other podcasts will occasionally have a sort of side mission style um, uh, episode that is non-related, a bonus, if you will, uh, to the main thing. I will probably also have versions of those come out periodically, all those things and technology things for that matter. And uh, I always have something to say about those things and obviously things like uber and you know caviar and all those and lyft and all those things constant uh things are always happening with them and uh if i get the opportunity to talk to uh somebody about those issues i will definitely bring them on uh i can't say it's a gonna be a consistent thing because i don't have anybody to talk to yet but <laughs> but it's something that i that is near and dear to my my soul uh as well i think so. i think that this topic was a really good last topic for before uh, uh before we go on this break because it crosses over into our interests so nicely which is uh both of us are alleged con- content creators i allegedly like to talk about finance you allegedly like to talk about technology and that's the that's it man this is that's the meta that's the meta wrap on on that episode and on 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 the ponzi screen for now and if you really wanna folks if you really want to extrapolate this i got a good russ limbaugh looking position going on right now if you wanna <laughs> if you want to really extrapolate this to an, a moralistic standpoint consider what your content "Quote unquote content creators make for you what uh 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 uh, uh s- standards and practices they're held up to do you you guys expect and I'm not no I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna be blame I'm not gonna blame anybody I'm not gonna blame anyone all right there's been a pattern where people have been held to a certain standard where they're like I expect something from somebody every week or every three days or every whatever but you know what disengage that from your mind man mm-hmm. all right stuff comes up randomly and with <laughs> and with like spurts of inspiration all right that you ever been on a youtube channel and you clearly see a youtube person die you know fucking phoning it in because they're not done with the other thing but they're like i made a new post i'm i'm making something fuck that shit fuck that shit all right shit comes out randomly sometimes you know mm-hmm you know, and if you're not a periodical reporting on stuff and you don't have anything to say, then don't make that terrible video where you're like, just doing a little shop updates for you guy. <laughs> like that's not con- that's not content. That's that's vapid and it's empty. All right. And don't invest in a mortgage hoping that your content will go viral. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, that's all I got right now. Um, my name's David. This has been Ponzi Scream. Um, my name is, uh, also David and, uh, I will, we'll see you on the flippity flop. We'll see ya. Bye bye.